It's hard to believe, but we are more than halfway through our study of this amazing book. And to be honest with you, this book has often left me intimidated. I've avoided teaching it for years simply because I felt like I had to understand everything in this book in order to teach it. And I stand up here today to honestly tell you, I still don't understand everything that is in this book. Okay, but I do believe that there's some glorious truths in here that we can gather out of this revelation that are important not only for John and the seven churches that this was first given to, but also for us as the church today. So Revelation chapter 12. As you're finding that, that chapter, I want you to think about for a moment, what's the battle you're facing? What's a battle you're facing? And I want to encourage you, if you have a piece of paper or a pen or maybe a notes app on a device, feel free to kind of pull that out and write down what that battle is. All right, so feel free to write down what's the battle you're facing. It, it could be a battle with your spouse. If you're here married, maybe there's some tension there. It could be a battle with your spouse. It could be a battle with one of your kids. Right? Or maybe from the kid's perspective, it could be a battle with one of your parents. All right? So what's the battle? could be maybe a struggle or conflict with a roommate or a sibling. Uh, maybe a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it's some kind of battle between you and maybe another follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's over a fear or a worry that you've been having about the unknown, about your future. Maybe it's a particular sin that just keeps sticking to you and you just can't seem to overcome it. I mean, then, then it's a battle, right? Maybe it's some kind of sinful thought. Whatever it is, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Write it down if you have a piece of paper and pen or maybe on your phone. Maybe text it to yourself, right? What is the battle that you're facing? And I bring that up because the Apostle John, who's the one who received this revelation, he was experiencing a battle. He was um, sent as a prisoner from the Roman government to an island called Patmos. And he was sent there as a prisoner simply because he loved Jesus and wanted others to love Jesus too. And so you can imagine that here's John. He's now separated from his house church, from his church family. He's on this island, isolated, like solitary confinement, if you will. And, and we understand that there were other Roman prisoners on this island with him. And so we come to understand that there were other Roman prisoners on this island. They were just kind of left there, kind of like think of Hunger Games, to kind of survive on their own, to find food for themselves and all these different things. And so you were not only there isolated, but you were there primarily pretty much forced to kind of survive and fight against other prisoners so that you could stay alive. And so can you imagine what John is feeling and thinking while he's isolated on this island of Patmos? Imagine the fears that might creep into his thinking. Maybe even unbelief. Maybe even Satan, the enemy, right, creeps, creeps up into, into John's thinking and gets him wondering, is Jesus really worth it, John? Those 11 guys that you follow Jesus with, they're all dead. And they're dead because they follow Jesus in your next. Is Jesus really worth it, John? Maybe he's starting to think that there's a battle going on with John. And there's a battle not only for John in the first century, but a battle for the church, for many Christians who are experiencing intense persecution at that time. And what they need in that moment is hope. What they need is where's our victory? 
Where's our hope in the midst of the battle? And I think that's important as we pull back the curtain and see what John sees and hear what John hears from Revelation chapter 12. So as we come into Revelation chapter 12, let's remember that the book of Revelation, this revelation of Jesus Christ, is less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. All right, That's the lens by which we need to read the book of Revelation, that it is less about how the world is going to end and more about the victory, our victory, right? the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. And Revelation 12 is going to show us, it's going to remind us who the real enemy is. It's going to remind us who the real enemy is and where our victory comes from. And the real enemy is not the person you're sitting next to. All right, the real enemy is not mom or dad. The real enemy is not your coworker. You're not the real enemy. There's a different enemy that we're battling and we're facing. Revelation 12 is going to reveal who that enemy is and where our victory over that enemy comes from. So let's look here. Revelation chapter 12, and we'll read to verse 6 to start. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So we're told here at the beginning of Revelation 12 that John sees a sign. Now a sign simply here in this context means it's like a symbol, it's it's to represent something important, like an important truth. And here John sees two signs. And the first sign he sees is this woman. And this woman is like wearing the sun for clothes and the moon is under her feet and she's got this crown, right, with diadems and, and jewels and different things. And I just wonder if when John sees this, maybe his mind is taken back to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, when Joseph, remember the boy with the coat of many colors, has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a sun, he sees a moon, and he sees 11 stars. So you just wonder if maybe that's the intent, is for, to take John's thoughts back to the Old Testament and, and back to that, that group of people that would, that would rule, that would be God's people, the people Israel at the time. But what's interesting here is about this woman is we're not told who the woman is. All we know is that she's clothed in the sun, standing over the moon, has like a crown, and she's in labor. She's going to give birth. So who's the woman? We don't know. We're not told who the woman is. All right? We're not told her name. Some people believe this is representing Eve. Some people believe this is representing the nation Israel. Some people believe that this is representing Mary, the mother of Jesus. Maybe this woman is representing all three. We're not told who the woman is, and there's been a lot of time time by Bible teachers spent on trying to figure out who the woman is. I don't think the woman is the focus of Revelation 12. I think her son is. 
I think the son is the focus of Revelation chapter 12. So we want to understand, who's the son? Well, we're told, if you go down to, to verse 4, all right, talk about the dragon. Dragon stood before the woman who's about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Verse 5, she gives birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations. So who's the son? Well, we're told that this woman's son is going to rule the world, rule all nations, and how? With a rod of iron. We always want to use the Bible to understand the Bible, right? And so we're told that this woman is going to have a child. It's going to be a boy, and he's going to rule the world, and he's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. And we're told what? He's going to sit next to God's throne. So if we use the Bible to understand the Bible, go with me, stay in Revelation to chapter 19, verses 11 through 15. Right now we're asking the question, who's the son? We're told about the son, that he's going to rule the nations. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to sit next to God's throne. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 15 Read, then I saw heaven opened, this is John again, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And back in Revelation chapter 3, in one of the letters that Jesus wrote to one of the churches, he describes himself as the faithful and true witness. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Again, a description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Think the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, again referencing Jesus. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Verse 15 of Revelation 19. From his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them. How? With a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here, this is referencing Jesus, and we're told then that this Jesus is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Same description of the child in Revelation chapter 12. And actually, if you go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, last chapter of that Gospel, verse 19, Mark, the writer, describes Jesus as being ascending to heaven. He's taken up to heaven and sitting next to God's throne. Again, a description of what John sees in Revelation chapter 12. So I think it's safe to say that the child, the son of this woman, is King Jesus. It's King Jesus. And that's the first sign. Now, there's a second sign that John sees here in the opening, and it's a great red dragon. A red dragon. Now, red we've seen in Revelation back in chapter 6 represents war. We talked about the red horse, and the red horse was a symbol of God bringing judgment upon the earth. And that red horse was going to take peace from the earth. So what we learn about this dragon is that he is about war. He's going to take peace from the earth. And we see him wearing seven, or ten horns, seven heads, and on his seven heads are seven diadems. What's that mean? I don't really know. I don't know, but I, I do think maybe John's thoughts would have gone back to the book of Daniel because Daniel saw a similar kind of beast with ten horns, and he saw that beast influencing the ten horns, and the ten horns back in Daniel were leaders. So maybe this just simply means that this dragon, who's all about war, is going to influence people. And we know that he's a ruler, 
right? He's got something on his head like a crown, and he sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven, casts them to the earth, verse 4. So he's got this army. He's ruling, and, and he's strong. He's powerful. And what is his mission? What's his mission? He wants to kill the son. He wants to kill the woman's son. That's his desire, is to take out King Jesus. So who's the dragon? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So now, where is this child? The child is in, the, in heaven, in, in the presence, right, of God. He's there, he's sitting there. And, and John sees a war break out in heaven. And on one side of the war, think of like Lord of the Rings, Battle of Helm's, De- Helm's Deep, right? You've got this fortress. And inside this fortress are like Michael, the chief prince of God's angels and other angels. And they've got an army. And then they're going against this dragon who's now got an army. And it's this battle going on in the heavenlies that John is witnessing. And ultimately, how does it end? Michael and his army, they win. They defeat the dragon, and the dragon gets kicked out of heaven. Right? He's, he gets kicked out, and he's ticked off. He's angry. He's defeated. Why? Because he can't get the sun. He can't get the sun. And so if he can't get the sun, what do you, who do you think he's going to go after? The sun's family. He's going to go after the sun's family. And that's what we see him do next, verses 13 through 17. Let's start in verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. There's so much happening here. Let's try to break this down. So the son is in heaven, protected. Satan, as we'll find out that's who this dragon is, is kicked out of heaven. And now he goes after the woman, the son's family. And her offspring, it says, at the end of the chapter. And so he sees this dragon now go after the woman. And he tries to remove her. The dragon does, but he can't. And it says, the wings of the great eagle, so she might be protected. That goes, I think, back to the Exodus. When God says to his people Israel, when he rescued them out of slavery, out of Egypt, he literally says, I bore you on eagle's wings. So in a similar way, God is going to take care of his people. He's going to take care of his people. And it says that the serpent poured water like river out of his mouth. I don't know exactly what that represents or means. Maybe it's that this dragon is going to do false teaching and lies and try to deceive, this, try to deceive God's people. 
But what we do see is that if he can't get the son, he's going after the son's family. And then he can't get after the woman, the mom, right? So then what's it say in verse 17? So he goes off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And the offspring are described as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So who's the offspring? Well, these would be brothers and sisters of the son. And if the son is Jesus then this would be the church. And we know that because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus describes those whom he has redeemed out of sin as his brothers and sisters. Those that he has sanctified, set apart, he says, I call them my brothers and sisters. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, do go there with me if you would. Revelation 14, verse 12. Again, in another vision that John sees, it says here, Revelation 14, 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Revelation 14, 12. Similar words, similar description describing who? The saints, the church. And so this would include John. This would include the seven churches of Asia that this revelation was first given to. This would include us. This would include your house church. This would include the different house churches within living church. The dragon is furious, and he is making war on King Jesus and anyone who follows him. But who's the dragon? Well, we were told, right, who the dragon is, verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. This dragon is Satan, and he is the serpent, that ancient serpent. Where would your mind go when you hear that? Genesis, right? Your mind would go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, that ancient serpent that shows up in the garden to deceive Eve. Did God really say? That's exactly what the enemy does. He gets you to question God's words. That God doesn't really care. That God isn't really true. He gets you to question his promises. And he describes him as that old ancient serpent. Now notice the similarities between what happens at the beginning in the garden and what John sees in Revelation chapter 12. Do you see similarities? In Genesis chapter 3, there's a woman and a serpent. Revelation 12, woman and serpent. Both cases, there's conflict between the woman and the serpent, the dragon. In both, there's a conflict between the woman's offspring and the serpent. This is why some people believe maybe the woman represents Eve. We don't really know for sure, but you see a lot of similarities here. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15, it's the first time God's announcing that he is going to bring a Messiah. He's going to bring a Christ. He's going to bring the promised one. And it says in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis that this offspring of Eve is going to crush, crush the serpent, going to defeat him. And we see that here in Revelation 12. We see the woman in both cases are going to experience pain in giving birth. And we see eventually the woman's child is going to crush the enemy. Someone's described what's going on here this way. The reference to the serpent of old indicates that the standoff, the battle between the woman in labor and the serpent is an age-old situation which spans the time from Eve to the Virgin Mary and beyond. And I just wonder if that's the meaning of Revelation 12. If John is being reminded, John, don't forget where the real battle is and who the real enemy is. 
The real enemy that you're facing, John, is Satan. He's the one behind all the persecution and the suffering and the accusations that you and your brothers and sisters are experiencing. He's the real enemy. And I wonder as John sees and hears this, if he's reminded that the real battle is Satan versus King Jesus and everyone who follows King Jesus. Didn't the Apostle Paul tell us this? He wrote of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He said, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. You are not fighting against one another. That's just a tool that the enemy uses. The real battle, he says, you're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul is reminding the first century church where the real battle lies and who the real enemy is. John, the one who's seeing this, he wrote the same thing. In 1 John chapter 3, 8, in one of his letters to the churches, he said, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So John is even telling the church, listen, that real battle with sin, there's an enemy behind that. And his name is the devil and Satan. The apostle Peter said the same thing when he wrote, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Same language that John hears and sees in Revelation 12, that this dragon wants to devour the son. He didn't devour the son, so now who is he after? The son's brothers and sisters, the son's family. People who follow King Jesus are real war. The real battle is with Satan himself. So we got to fight like it. We got to fight like it, and we need to live like it. Well, how do you do that? Lord of the Rings. No, you don't do that by watching Lord of the Rings. But how do you defeat the ring? The evil, I mean, how do you defeat the evil Sauron? What do you do with the ring? You you got to destroy it, right? Yeah, yeah, you got to destroy it. You got to throw it in the fires of Mordor, right? That's that's, that's how you win. That's how you defeat the enemy and how you defeat evil. Well, how do we defeat the dragon? How do we defeat this, our own Sauron, right? Satan and the enemy. John hears how. He hears where our victory comes from. How you defeat this evil dragon that is out to destroy you and devour. He's out to destroy your marriage. He's out to destroy your family. He's out to destroy your relationship with your roommates. Your relationship. He's out to destroy you in your relationship with your neighbors. Your co- He's out to destroy you. Where's the victory? How do we find victory? John hears how we defeat the enemy. How we defeat our Sauron. Verse 10 and 11. Look at what he says. And I heard a loud voice. Listen, this should get you on the edge of your seat right now. Okay? I mean, this, you're just about ready to be told, this is how I take him down. This is, okay? So this is like, okay. All right, I'm, I'm all ears. Let's roll. Let's do this. And he says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, oh, here we go. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, the one that he promised back in the garden to send that would crush the enemy, that's the Christ. 
He's saying that salvation, that kingdom, that power, the authority of that Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, the one who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So John hears this voice. And just think of the battle that he's having with his own thoughts And he's told, listen, how do you defeat that ancient serpent, that devil who has been accusing you of all these different things? How do you defeat him? And he's told, you you don't, because he's already been defeated by your king, King Jesus, and by his blood shed for you on the cross. That's how the enemy has been defeated. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. How is that possible? Because if you're putting your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, death is not the end. He's promised you victory. And so the question is, okay, so if the blood of Jesus is how we defeat this dragon, Satan, how does it defeat the dragon? How does it defeat Satan and the accusations? Let me just give you four different ways real quick. You see, Jesus' blood says you're forgiven of all your sins. 1 John 1, 7 says the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sins. So when the enemy starts to accuse you and say, oh, really? What about your past? Remember those past things that you did that, you, you know, that caused you to feel guilt and shame? You just tell the enemy, no, 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 my king has forgiven me and his blood is proof. That's not who I am anymore. The blood of Jesus is your power over the enemy and your victory. Well, how else? Not only does Jesus' blood say you're forgiven, Jesus' blood says you're free. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. I think the words here are so good. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says, For you, talking about Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. A ransom is obtaining someone's release. Listen, before you placed your faith in Jesus and his blood for you on that cross, you were a citizen or a slave in the kingdom of darkness, led and ruled by the dragon Satan himself. This was your position. And Jesus loved you so much that he put himself on the cross and by his blood, that key that unlocks you from that prison of darkness is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, so what is it? you are set free from the prison of the kingdom of darkness. And you were not there and you were brought, as Colossians 1 says, into the kingdom of the Son. And so when the enemy tries to get you, man, get you thinking about your sin and like, Man, there's no way I can defeat this. There's no, 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 you just tell them, listen, I've been set free, and that kingdom has no power over me anymore. And the proof of that is the blood of Jesus that I'm putting my life into and I'm trusting in. You just tell the enemy that. So the blood of Jesus forgives you. The blood of Jesus sets you free. The blood of Jesus says that your future is secure. We don't have time to look at it, but Romans chapter 8 says, listen, that the blood of Jesus makes you a child of God. And God makes a promise to you that if you are a child of God, that even though the enemy may kill you, the blood of Jesus promises the king will raise you. Hallelujah. Your future is secure. And if you're a child of God, that, that he has promised that you're going to reign with your brother Jesus. Revelation 2.10 tells us this, that you're going to reign and rule with your brother Jesus when he comes back to rule and reign. 
That's why they'd say about their lives, like we didn't love our life even to death. Why? Because we know our king's going to raise us again. You want the proof? The blood of Jesus on the cross. So my future is secure. The battle may be hard now, and the enemy may even take our lives, but even if he does, so be it. Because we have the blood of Jesus proving to us that our future is secure. And that even though the enemy may kill us, destroy us, the blood of Jesus says to you that the king will raise you. He will raise us. That is good news. If you're John, can you imagine how you're thinking right now? And then one final way that the blood of Jesus overcomes the enemy is Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, reminds us the blood of Jesus says that you are fully loved. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Absolutely nothing. And so when the enemy gets you thinking, I need this or that or this person or that person in order to feel accepted, to feel loved, that is a lie. You are fully loved by the God of the universe, and the proof of that is the blood of his son on the cross shed for you. You are fully loved. Listen, if Jesus is your king, when the accusations start to come from the enemy, you just tell the dragon, I'm forgiven. You just tell the dragon, Jesus has freed me from you. Death is not the end for me, and I cannot be more loved than I am right now. King Jesus loves me, and I live for him. And if Jesus isn't your king, what are you waiting for? Surrender right now to King Jesus, right where you sit. And all this becomes yours because of the price he paid for you on the cross when he shed his blood there. Can you imagine what John's feeling and hearing? And how the blood of Jesus overcomes and defeats the enemy. I think he would have felt hope. I think he would have felt victory. And I think you would have been reminded of why staying loyal to Jesus, even if it means death, is worth it. And so how do we explain Revelation 12? Maybe we explain it this way. People who follow King Jesus, we are at war with the devil. We don't talk about that much, but it is true. And Revelation 12 is proof of that. This is your real battle. But the blood of Jesus is your real victory. So we need to fight with it and we need to start living like it. We need to fight with it and start living like it. So here's a question for you as the band comes. What would it look like for you to live for Jesus, fighting your battles, knowing that the blood of Jesus has won your victory? What would it look like for you to live for Jesus, fighting your battles, knowing that the blood of Jesus has won your victory. That question, I want you to just take a moment with the people around you and just talk about. Just discuss that question together. All right, go ahead and do that now. All right, can we share a little bit with one another? Can we be vulnerable a little bit, maybe? Go for it, try it. Um, what were some of the things you shared? What would it look like for us Right For you, to live for Jesus, fighting the battles, knowing the blood of Jesus has won the victory. Anybody want to share? Let's learn from it. Let's encourage one another. Say again. You can fight with confidence. Yes. You have all you need. Yes. Maddie. It's great. Yes. 
Do you hear that? We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Big difference. Oh, that's, that's, God is moving. Yes, it's so good. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, go. Using the word. Absolutely. The enemy hates the truth. So just start speaking truth. The truth of God's words. All right, he's going to get you to doubt that. You respond. You win the battle by giving him the truth. Yeah, somebody else. Benson. Yeah, nothing to fear. If your future's secure, you don't. You can be bold, right? You have nothing to fear. Yes, good to see you again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great reminder that a lot of times when the enemy starts attacking and accusing, he gets us thinking about everything and everyone but Jesus, right? And that's when we got to lean on one another. You got to lean into your house church family and be like, guys, I am going through it right now. I need you to pray for me. I need you. The enemy's really uh, just help me. And that's where we got to come alongside one another in the battle and, and grab arms and just like, no, you're not alone in this. Like, here's some truth. Start feeding your mind with this truth from God and his word. Anybody else? Elodie, go for it. Yeah, exactly. When the battle starts, don't wait till it's raging, right? You, when, the battle, when you know it's happening, you lean into Jesus in that moment. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, you, you want to engage, engage in the fight. There's a war going on whether you recognize it or not. It's going on. And we just need to realize who the real enemy is and where our victory is. The victory has already been won for you. You fight from victory, not for it. I love that. And, and so, listen, let's, we are not the enemy. We got to stop fighting each other. And sometimes I'll, when we do some marriage counseling, I'll, I'll talk to couples and be like, listen, you're not the enemy. What you need to do is start fighting the one enemy that's attacking you both. And you need to fight together. Listen, step into this battle because the victory has already been won for you. Use the truth of God's word. Lean into one another and you just tell the truth to that dragon who has already been defeated. So let's stand together. And so when the accusations start to come, because now that we've talked about this, I'm pretty confident that this week there's going to be some battles that are going to start to rage. All right? And that's okay because we've already won. Jesus won it for us. This is not about us. This is about him and his blood who has set us free, forgiven us, secured our future, and confidently told you that you are fully loved. But this week when that happens, when the accusations come, you just remind yourself this. I've been released from the chains. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom that King Jesus faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested. That's when my life began. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. And then this is a chorus. When we claim it and we proclaim it, oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song church of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free forever, amen, when death was arrested and my life began. So let's sing it, church. Let's sing this truth together in glorious worship of the King who poured out his blood for you and for me. Amen.